Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you tonight. I want to bring a real simple message, and I've just entitled this, Jesus Perfect Theology. I want to start in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. In uh, Hebrews 1 and verse 1. Says God, who at various times in various ways spoke in the past to our fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Now, now, by the way, when it says the last days, the last days biblically began on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Joel prophesied that in the last days, God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And Peter quoted that scripture and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So the last days began on the day of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago. He said, and since then, he has spoken to us by his son. What that is telling us is God's way to speak to you and to me, God's way of letting us know his will, God's way of letting us know what he is like is by his son. The third verse says, who bring the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Now, that's the King James. Obviously, that's a really old translation. Let me give you a couple more modern ones. The sun perfectly mirrors God. You know, people have pictures of God in their mind. What is God like? And most of us, to some degree, relate to God the way that we related to our Father. And for some people, that's good news. For other people, that's bad news. If you had a really loving, caring father, that'll help you in your relationship with God. Jesus taught us to relate to God like we relate to a father. But if you had an abusive father or an absent father, uh, it can make it hard for you to relate to God. But what it's telling us here is if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus One translation says it this way. The sun is the perfect reflection of God's glory, the exact likeness of his being. So if you wonder what God would do in any situation, look at Jesus, because he is a perfect mirror image of God the Father. What would God do in any situation? Just look at Jesus. In fact, the Amplified translation says he is the sole expression of the glory of God. In other words, there there is no other place that you can find what God is actually like. He is the sole expression of God's glory, of his image. The perfect imprint, it says, of the very image of God. A perfect image, a perfect carbon copy of what God the Father would be like. And so many of us, we think God's mad. We think God's against us. We think God is distant and uncaring, but that is not at all the picture of God that we get when we look at Jesus. In fact, John and Jesus in John 3, 17, verse 16 is the best known verse in the Bible, but the 17th verse says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. But so many of us have the picture of God. He's just waiting for us to get out of line, say or do something wrong, And God's up there with a great big fly swatter, and he's going to go, just as soon as you blow it. 
the Old Testament, in, in many ways, it's hard to understand. In fact, by the way, the Old Testament actually means the old way of righteousness. Now, how many want the old way? No. In fact, it says in Hebrews, it says he takes away the first that he may establish the second. So he takes away the Old Testament, the old covenant, the old way of being righteous, that he may establish the new way of being made right with God. The principle holds in every way. Let me put it to you like this. If God is asking you to give something up, he's got something better for you. When he takes away the first, it's always to bring in something new, something better. But he took away the first covenant, the old covenant, that he may establish the new. So the New Testament or the new covenant literally means the new way to be righteous with God. That's why in Romans 3.20, it says no one has ever been made right with God by obeying the law or by doing good things. Now, I remember growing up and we thought we would be right with God by doing the right things. We, we tried to keep the Sabbath day. and It was really funny because we didn't keep it on the Sabbath. We kept it on Sunday, which isn't the Sabbath. The Saturday's the Sabbath. And so it's not really Saturday. It's Friday when the sun goes down till Saturday when the sun goes down. But we tried to be righteous by keeping, you know, our, our, our Sabbath day. and We wouldn't do anything on the Sabbath day. And I remember driving down the street and somebody was cutting their grass. And my dad said, they're going to hell. <laughs> they're going to hell. They're cutting their grass on Sunday. Well, we, we were trying to obey a bunch of rules. But how many people have been made, made right with God by obeying rules? Zero. Zero. So he takes away the first, the old covenant, to establish the new. The Old Testament really was given to show us that we were sinners and we needed a savior. That no matter how hard we tried, we could not do it all right. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 19 that the Pharisees come to Jesus and, and they're saying, Jesus, can we just divorce our wives for any reason at all? They burnt the toast, can we divorce them? And uh, Jesus, <laughs> Uh, there was actually a, a, a group who taught that for whatever reason, you would just go to your wife and say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and give her a paper, and you're divorced. And for whatever reason you wanted. So Jesus answered and said, haven't you read that in the beginning, he made them male and female. And for this reason, a, a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said, well, why did Moses command us to give her a certificate of divorce and put her away or divorce her? Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts, God permitted you to divorce your wives. But in the beginning, it was not so. So literally, here's what Jesus just said. He said, God let that you do that because you are so miserable. You are, you are, you, you, your hearts are hard. He said, that's why God permitted you to do that, but that was not God's best. In the beginning, it was not that way. So a lot of things in the Old Testament are there because of sin and because of the hardness of hearts. But listen, clarity about the will of God is found in Jesus. Amen. Clarity about the will of God is found in Jesus. 
Uh, it is an Old Testament quote, but in Hebrews 10 in verse 5, it says, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, <laughs> now, Jesus is in heaven. He's about to come to earth and be born. And before he came and was born, before he left heaven, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then he said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. So what did Jesus come to do? God's will. Everything he did was God's will. In fact, in John 5, he said this, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So he said, what I'm doing is showing you what the Father is like. And everything I do, I do because it's what I see the Father do. I'm a perfect manifestation of God's will in every single way. Now, there's so many ways I'd like to talk to you about this. But, for example, in John chapter 4, the Bible says that Jesus is going through Samaria. And he goes to the city of Sychar. And there's a well there that Jacob, Jacob's well. And Jesus is weary. And he sits down. And a, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples gone into the city to buy some food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink of me a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now there, were, there was a tremendous amount of prejudice between the two. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'll give her will never thirst. But that water shall become in him or shall give him and become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus had said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one with whom you have now is not your husband. And that you have spoken truly. The woman said, sir, she said, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. She was bright, wasn't she? <laughs> Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. Now, now, I want you to just guess what she's doing. Immediately, she brings up a religious argument. That's the first thing that she does. You know, when you start to talk to people and they get defensive, you know what they will do? They will bring up a religious argument. Our fathers worship in this mountain and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. And God's the Spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, 
I who speak to you am he. It's interesting to me that Jesus does not condemn the woman for having been married and divorced five times. And now she doesn't even take the time to get married. She's just shacking up. Instead of condemning her, he leads her. When she tries to argue, he reveals himself to her more clearly as the Messiah than to any other person at any time. And he wins her and makes her a missionary. Now, a lot of people think, well, if you're doing something wrong, man, God is going to get you. How many of you heard him shout it? Turn or burn? <laughs> I just think it's interesting that Jesus didn't turn or burn. That wasn't his theology. His theology was let's love people. Let's reveal God to people and let's win people. The woman who's caught in adultery, they bring her to Jesus. I, I do think it's interesting that they bring the woman without the man. How many of you know it does take two? Uh, if they were really looking for some justice, there would have been two people. But there was just one. And they said, Moses or the Old Testament tells us to stone this woman. And what do you say? And, and we all know Jesus, he, he kneels down and he begins to write in the ground and says, whoever was without sin, let him cast the first stone. And the Bible does tell us that they left in order from the oldest right down to the youngest. Every one of them finally left. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote, but if you've got a very good imagination, I think you can figure out what Jesus, I think he wrote addresses and dates. I mean, I, he put some stuff down because everybody, the Bible says their conscience condemned them. He's writing something down and everybody's gone. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Now, listen to what he said. He said, go and sin no more. He didn't validate her sin. But what he did was he forgave her sin. He forgave her sin and he extended grace to her. That's what God's like. Jesus gives us the story of the prodigal son where the young man comes to his father and says, give me my inheritance. I wish you were dead, but you're not. So give it to me anyway. Takes it, goes to a far country, spends it all in riotous living. And there a famine comes and he finds himself working for a farmer, feeding some pigs. You know, and if you're a Jewish boy, feeding pigs is about as low as you can go. And the Bible says he came to himself and he said, even the hired servants at my father's house have more than enough to eat. And here I am perishing of hunger. This is what I'll do. I will arise and I will go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you and make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose. But when his father saw him afar off, the Bible says his father got up and he ran. And in this parable, the father is God the father. And he sees any one of us making a move towards it. I believe it this way. If you will make one step towards God, God will make a thousand steps towards you. He says he ran. He went and he, he grabbed him. He hugged him. And then the boy said, you know, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And his, his father said, bring a robe and put it on him. Put sandals on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. 
because my son who was lost is found. See, that's what God is like. Uh, look at healing as an example. The Bible tells us again and again that Jesus healed them all. In Matthew 8, 16, and when evening had come, they brought unto him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirit with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now again, he is the perfect mirror reflection of God. And what did he do? He healed them all. The Bible, he said, I have come to do thy will, O God. Matthew 4, 24. Then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all who were sick, who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now, notice that it says that he brought them all. It wasn't like they had to pray first and figure out if it was the will of God. If they were sick, they brought them. And if they brought them, Jesus healed them. He healed them all. Uh, There's individual cases that Jesus heals. There aren't that many. I I believe it's 19 different individuals that are specifically mentioned that Jesus healed. It talks about multitudes, but where it talks about their name and gives us the specific circumstances, I believe the number is 19 different people. And each one has a particular lesson for you and for me. But in Matthew chapter 8, we find one of those stories. And he comes down from the mountain. And uh, this is the mount where he's been up preaching what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he comes down. And this would be the area where Bethsaida is and where Chorazin is. And uh, a leper came and worshipped him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This This guy has got theology like most people today. Their thought is, if God wants to, he can. I just don't know if he wants to. That's what most people think about. I know God could, but I just don't know if he wants to. Well, this man represents every person that believes that God can, but doesn't know if God wants to. So Jesus... The perfect image of God, the one who does God's perfect will. Jesus put out his hand and touched him and saying, I am willing. One translation says, of course I will. Of course I will. Said, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priest. You know, a lot of people say Jesus just healed in order to show that he could, that he, was, that, that he was the son of God, that he, he had a supernatural power. But if that's the case, Jesus would have said, go tell everybody. But that's not why. Again and again, the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion and healed. Moved with compassion or love and healed. I think it's so interesting that if you look in the book of Corinthians, The 12th chapter talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And then it says, I show you a more excellent way. 
in the 13th chapter talks about love. And then the 14th chapter continues and says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. In other words, the way that the, the Spirit of God is going to move through you more than any other way is when, you're, when the love of God, when the compassion of God rises up in your heart. Jesus healed again and again because of compassion. In Matthew 12, now when the Pharisees heard and said it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. He said, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. And how then can his kingdom stand? But if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When Jesus was healing, the religious leaders said, it's demonic. It's demonic. But it wasn't. And Jesus said it was by the spirit of God. I think it's interesting that today some people still think it's demonic. They still say when somebody gets healed, that's the devil. But Jesus said this. He said, Satan is not divided against himself. So Acts 10, 38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now, the Bible says every person that Jesus healed that ultimately it was a demonic oppression. Now, what that means is this, not that they have a demon, but that sin and sickness came into the world through Adam's sin. And it's not God's will for those people to be sick. And he healed how many? All. And it doesn't say God made them sick, it says it was a result of demonic activity. They were oppressed of the devil. So in the New Testament, it was God that healed and it was Satan that would bring sickness and sin. But now today, some people want to turn it around and they want to say that if somebody gets healed, the devil healed them and it's God that makes them sick, which is crazy. But the God and the devil have not traded places. And, and ultimately, I really don't think people, that they say it, I wonder if they really believe it. Because if they believed it came from God, why would they hire the best surgeon in town to try to cut it out? You ought to pray for more. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion and healed their sick. He was moved with compassion and healed their sick. Now, I, I wanna talk to you just a minute about Mark chapter nine. And Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are with him. And while he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, his disciples are down waiting at the base, nine of his disciples, and a man comes and his son is, we, we would probably say was an epileptic. He said that often uh, he falls in the fire, he falls in the water, and he shakes. And, and he came to the disciples and said, please help me. And the disciples, 
we're not able to bring deliverance. So when Jesus comes down, the man sees Jesus and, and brings his son to Jesus. And he said, Lord, if you can do anything, help me. And Jesus said, if he said, if you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. And the father said, I believe help my unbelief. And Jesus rebuked the spirit that was the cause in that case. And the boy fell down, was delivered. And Jesus gave him back to his father, completely healed. The disciples were unable to bring healing or deliverance to that boy. But my question is, was it still the will of God? It absolutely was still the will of God. And so often what we do, instead of taking some sort of responsibility, we just say, well, it just must not be God's will. It just must not be God's will. But Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And when the disciples were unable to bring freedom to that boy, Jesus nevertheless did. And he is a perfect example of the will of God. Perfect example. Jesus said, the thief, the devil, he does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, but I've come to have life, that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. I, I think we blame God for so many different things. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Jesus is out on the, the Sea of Galilee again. And uh, if you've been to Israel, one of the things they always tell you when you go to the Sea of Galilee, it may be calm right now, but in 20 minutes, it can be totally different. Uh, the wind can come down off the mountains and a storm can just come up so quickly. But uh, Jesus is out there with his disciples and suddenly a storm hits and it is so violent that the boat is about to sink. And they wake Jesus and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And there's a instantly there's a calm. Now, I think it's interesting that. What our insurance companies do when a storm like that hits, they call that an act of God. Uh, God gets blamed for all kinds of stuff. But Jesus actually rebuked that storm. And most likely that storm was not just a natural storm, but it was demonic. It was demonic. Jesus rebuked it. James says this, James chapter one, do not be deceived my beloved brethren. Now, there's less than a half a dozen places where the Bible tells us in the New Testament not to be deceived. But it's the areas where it says not to be deceived that we are the most deceived. I think that's why the Holy Spirit said don't be deceived because he realized those are the areas that we would become deceived. It says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the father of light in whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. What comes from God? Every good gift, every perfect gift. And there is no variation. God does not have blue Tuesdays. He doesn't have bad days, doesn't have bad moods. There is no variation. If it's good, if it's perfect, it comes from God. But if not, it doesn't. Luke 16 says the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. 
Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. So he's saying until John, we had the Old Testament. He said, but now he said it's obsolete. And now it's the kingdom of God that's here. He said, and the kingdom is being preached and you force your way in. One translation, actually different, the, the, the same account, different gospel. says, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. They take it by force. Really what Jesus does is here is he shows us our assignment. You know, the church for way too long has made heaven our focus. Jesus' focus was the kingdom. Heaven is my destiny, but my assignment is to bring the kingdom. Heaven is your destiny, but your assignment is the kingdom. And Jesus constantly talked about the kingdom. His first sermon was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then in Acts chapter 1, it says he was with his disciples for 40 days and talked to them of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And everything Jesus talked about in between was kingdom. So once again, heaven is your destiny, but the kingdom of God is your assignment. Don't make heaven your focus. It's your destiny. You're going. But while we're here, we're supposed to make the kingdom our focus. What Jesus said, he said, if I cast out demons, if I bring healing, he said, by the finger, by, by the spirit of God, he said, the kingdom of God is come to you. And healing's part of the kingdom. But I'd like everybody to stand. But tonight, if you were, if you're in need of healing, I would like to just take some time. We're going to worship, take some time and pray for everybody that needs healing. If you say, I'd like to have hands laid on me today. I'm going to believe God for healing today in every single person, no matter what the ailment, no matter what the sickness, no matter what the attack. If you need healing, I want you to come forward right away if you can. Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.